that your words would touch our hearts. Lord, fill us with your heart. Lead us with your love to those around us. Lord, I pray that Seth's words would be your words. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Salem. There we go. All right. Just want to make sure uh, this wasn't a dream when I was still in bed. Hey, it's great to be with you guys this morning. Uh, my name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors uh, here uh, at Salem. And uh, you know, sometimes I, I feel like when we, and it's different for every person and how this works, but uh, sometimes I feel like I, I just, we sing some songs and they touch me and I go, let's just, just go home. <laughs> Let's just go home and, and live this out and, and do this, right? Uh, my hope is this, this morning uh, that as we open up God's Word, as we spend time uh, in Mark chapter 5, as we kind of continuation from last week, that we begin to see maybe just a little bit greater uh, the intentionality of Jesus uh, as He engages people uh, on the road, okay? And so how we are to emulate, uh, emulate that. So you might be wondering, so if you're new, um, normally we have like a like a pulpit, and this morning we have a desk, and so you go, man, what in the world uh, is this about? So uh, let me tell you, about 15 years ago, uh, when I was uh, in, in seminary, uh, I, did, I spent a lot of time at a desk, right? You learn, and 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 you learn, right? And you, you spend a ton of time uh, in, in, this, in this desk. And for me, uh, there's only so much time that I can do at a desk. Now, I love to study. I love learning. Um, but, but in terms of sitting in a desk, when everybody else uh, in seminary would flock to the library, um, that just wasn't, that wasn't my jam. That was, was not where I really felt like I could do my best studying. And so I, at some point, had to get up out of my desk, and what I would do um, is that I wanted to intentionally choose a place that I could go um, that could be my space. And if you know anything about me, um, I, I would say that I'm a mountains guy, okay? So I did school um, just outside of Chicago, and of all the cities in, in the U.S. of the world, that's my city because it has the Chicago Cubs, has Giordano's, it has so many things that I love. But, but in my core, who I am is that I'm not a city person. I'm, I'm much more outdoorsy. I'm a mountains type of a guy. Uh, I'd rather be in a tent than in a hotel. That's just kind of who I am. And so what I wanted to do is that I wanted to intentionally choose a place where I could go uh, and do my studying, but that felt more natural for me. And so um, I found myself uh, at a Caribou Coffee, um, which you guys know really well because it started, you know, locally here in the, in the cities. And so, um, and so I would travel uh, 20 or 30 minutes, which was probably like half of a mile in Chicago, um, you know, like, but I would go this, this distance uh, to get to a place where nobody else from, from school was. Um, I just, I wanted to be by myself. I had this space. And so I got in, and, and the, what I loved about it is because Caribou Coffees are designed like a lodge, right? And so even though you're in the city, it doesn't feel like you're in the city. And so it was perfect for me. And so I kept going over and over and over. And I, and I probably spent more money on gas in that time just getting there because it was, it was my space uh, for studying. But here's what I learned is that the more I was there or the longer that I was there, the more I began to realize that God was actually giving me favor with the people 
um, or the workers at Caribou, okay? And this was uh, this revelation moment for me um, because what I would do is I would always order a, um, a single cup of black coffee because that's like a dollar, and it was like refillable. So it was cheap for a poor college student or seminary student. And then sometimes if I wanted to splurge, I would get a cold Coke. <laughs> um, and that's how I made it through. Like I would do hot, cold, hot, cold, caffeine, 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 over and over and over. And that's how I made my way through. But the people who worked there knew my rhythms. They learned about me, and I didn't realize this. And so this revelation moment happened as I was walking into Caribou one day, and there was a row or a line of six people in front of me, and um, the people behind uh, the counter waved me around. <laughs> and they're like, hey, why don't you come on over here? And I was like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> so, like, I as, as a good Christian, right, I'm feeling guilt. Okay, that's bad. I shouldn't say that. I'm feeling guilt in this moment, right, because I'm walking past six people, and I don't want to make eye contact with them. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, and I walk past, and I get to the counter, and they had my order prepared for me because they saw me in the parking lot. And so what he does is that he just hands me my coffee, and I'm like, and I'm start, I start to dig around for change, and he goes, don't worry about it. And from that moment on, I never paid for coffee <laughs> at Caribou. And it was a cool thing, because every time I would come in, I built relationships and talked and talked and talked. And it took forever for me to realize that this was a road moment, that I, that I intentionally had chosen a place, and that by just building relationships and talking to people, like, all of a sudden, like, God started opening doors, and we, and we started talking about life, and we went to movies together, of all things, right? This, this crazy, weird community with me and the workers of Caribou, which was strange. And so then what happened at the, at the end of all of that is that I began to see that this is something that I can't waste. And so I started intentionally, even though I wanted to protect my space, I was selective in who I would invite from seminary to come along with me. And I chose people that I knew that would invest in these people, these workers, in the same way that I was. And so it was just this really cool moment. But here's, here's why this desk is here, right? Like full, full circle. The desk represents a place of learning. And as you can tell, this is a, a, a rather retro, that's a polite way of saying old, um, desk. I did this first service, and I didn't think I would do it again second service because it's very not comfortable, but I've chosen to. <laughs> it's hard to breathe in here, actually. Um, I'm not quite as thin as I used to be. Um, but what I, what, I, what I think about this desk, right, is that this place, this thing, uh, has a very high place in our culture for learning. And I would never, ever undermine that because I think that the classroom is incredibly important, right? But the reality is, is that I can learn and learn and learn and learn and learn and never do. Right? Like James says that, that we need to be doers of the word, right? not just hearers of the word. And so the reality is for me that I learned in this seminary moment was that I can learn all the Greek and all the Hebrew that I could ever possibly want. And then unless I get out of my desk and actually engage in the road, it's for nothing. Right? Because it's not connected to life. It's not connected to, to anything in the way that Jesus actually has designed me to function as a Christ follower. And so I have to get up out of the desk. And so this last week, um, if we'll switch maybe over to our, our, our um, trusty board here, uh, this last week you might remember um, that we, we looked at uh, this passage, right, in John 4, where Jesus has this interaction uh, with this woman uh, at 
at a well, right? And so we learn this big idea that Jesus like went to people. He didn't make them come to him. He went to people, and then once he's there, he intentionally uh, engages with those people, right? And we learned that he, he, engages, he engaged their gender. Uh, he engaged um, their race and ethnicity. He engaged their story, whatever that story was, and however deep or gross or painful or not, like he engaged their story. Uh, he engaged their attitude, whether they're skeptical or sarcastic or mean or judgmental or apathetic, whatever their, their attitude is, he engaged it. Uh, and then he engaged their beliefs, so whatever their beliefs. And so we learn from us, like whether someone has a, the different beliefs or they don't believe in really anything, we learned a ton about how Jesus went to people and he intentionally engages them. And so, and we talk about this idea of like elephants in the room, right? Like, like sometimes we shy away when we see one elephant in the room, and yet Jesus in this moment saw five elephants, and yet he with boldness and much grace and, and a lot of truth and grace engaged this woman in in uh, this intentional conversation. And, and amazing, cool, crazy, uh, incredible things actually happen as a result of it, right? She leaves her jar of water and he go, she goes back into, into town and tells all of her friends. Well, today we're going to see something similar, um, but I, but I want to just to kind of get this out here. Um, in our passage this morning, right, Jesus, the same thing, right? Jesus went... Uh, to the blank side of the lake, okay? So this is going to be strange. It might sound weird, but I think that this is a super important thing. It's another real strong, bold move of Jesus is that he went to the other side of the lake, okay? So if we were to do this actually from the back, if you remember, like with the, the woman of Galilee, uh, or the, excuse me, the woman of Samaria, we started kind of down in Jerusalem, and he made his way over to the Jordan River, and then eventually he ends, his, ends up over here in this town in Samaria, right, on his way en route to Galilee, and this is Samaria, right? And so this was the easy route, and this is the hard route, and yet Jesus intentionally, right, it was necessary for Jesus to intentionally choose this place, okay? And that he ends up in Galilee. And so now that we're here in Galilee, what we're going to find is that Jesus' kind of hometown is right up here in this little town called um, Capernaum, which is about 1,500 people. Uh, and this is where Peter lived. And so he's probably, what he's going to do here is he takes his disciples and he's actually going to go from the west side of the lake to the east side of the lake, okay? And you're like, okay, big deal. Why is this so important that Jesus would go uh, to the other side of the lake, okay? So let's talk about that, okay? If you got your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 5, okay? So if you don't know your Bible, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, New Testament's in the right. It starts with Matthew. And so if you flip, you find Matthew. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. Okay, so, but here's what's interesting is that we're going to start in 5.1 um, with being at the other side of the lake, right? It says that they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes, okay? So, they came and they came across this lake. But here's what I, I want to just pause for a second in that, in the space, in this moment, because if you pull out your trusty merged gospels, which I referenced this last week, again, it's a great cave um, resource for spending time in your relationship with, with God, um, he puts together like the life of Jesus really in chronological, uh, in chronological order. And so there are these two things that if he's right, um, there are two things that happen just prior to Jesus going to the other side, okay? 
And the first one is actually back in Mark chapter 3. And I don't have this on the screen, so if you want to look in your Bible, it's in Mark chapter 3, uh, verses 31 uh, to 35. But here's what happens. It's just this kind of summary. is that Jesus is um, talking with these people, right, in this crowd. Um, and these disciples come to him and basically say, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside and they're seeking you, right? They're, they're looking for you. And so I just imagine Jesus, like, looking around the room, um, and he basically says, who are my mother and brothers? And then he looks about and says, here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Okay? So there's something about this, this will of God, right? Whoever does the will, not just here, but whoever does the will uh, of my Father, right, of God, he is my brother and sister. Okay? So, but then if you go chronologically, you go to chapter 4, verse 35, and here's what it says. It says, on that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. And so then if this chronological order is, is correct, then what we can learn is actually that, that there's something about doing the will of the Father that's connected to this idea of going to the other side. Okay? Does that make sense? There's something about this, um, about going to the other side. Now, take a look at this, this picture. You can see this is actually from the town of Capernaum in modern-day uh, Israel or modern-day Galilee, and it's actually looking across, uh, across the Sea of Galilee. It's called the Sea of Galilee for, I don't actually know why, um, but it's really more like a giant lake. Uh, and it's really only eight miles wide at its, at its widest part. And so when you look at that, you see these hills uh, in the back, and that there are like small mountains. Those are actually called the Golan Heights, okay? And so that's where our story is going to take place, is on the other side of that lake. And so, but, but, but you might remember um, that in the journey, um, Jesus' journey with the disciples, to get from the west side to the east side, they have to take a boat, Okay, so they would all hop in this fishing boat, and then what happens is that in the midst of their travel, a storm arises. In fact, it's so significant uh, that the disciples are afraid for their very lives. Remember, this is where Jesus calms the storm, right? And the disciples are saying, like, gosh, like, don't you care that we are perishing? Which, by the way, when you look at this picture, you go, how in the world? Like, we live in the land of lakes, Right? Like, is this, is this, I just put this together, is this where Land Lakes, like, the butter company comes from? Like, I don't even know. Like, maybe it is. So, um, I, got, I got a head nod, so. Um, but when you look at this lake, you know, you look at this, the width of this, you go, how is it that a storm could actually cause, like, a life-threatening, like, scenario? And I learned this while we were in Israel, just because I think this is fascinating, I think it's helpful for us to put into context, uh, the journey and the trip from the west side to the east side of the lake is that there are times where this phenomenon happens where the wind from the north and, and meets wind from the south, and they connect together, and when it happens, there's mountains on the east and mountains on the west, and so the wind just swirls in between these two to, like, topography type of elements, right? these geog geographical things. Um, and what happens is that it stirs in so much that it can actually cause waves as tall as 15 feet. 15 feet. I'm like just under six feet, like I always want to exaggerate to be six foot because that makes me feel better about myself, um, but I'm just under. But if you double me and then add another three feet, I mean, is that the ceiling? 
I mean, that's pretty close, right? I mean, it's pretty incredible to think. And so, when as I think about this journey, the disciples have got to be, if you put yourself in the mind and the shoes of the disciples, they've got to be asking, Jesus, what are we doing? Why are we going over there? Like, no Jew goes over there, first and foremost, and there's this massive storm. And so, like, this whole thing is, is happening in the midst of this, and you go, gosh, like, Jesus was being, it's not like Jesus just randomly chose things. Like, if you learn something, just remember this, Jesus was intentional in everything that he did. He was so intentional in everything that he did, especially like with his disciples. He has something that he wants to do, and he really wants them to see, um, see what's happening. Okay, so here we are in um, Mark chapter 5, verse 1, right? And it said, which we just saw, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And again, why this is important is because if I come back to my board here, I could draw a line from the north to the south, really connecting right where the Jordan River comes in, okay? Uh, this is the west side, right? This is like towards uh, the Mediterranean Sea, and then over here, this is the, the east side. And so in Jesus' day, right, everything that was on this side, kind of between the center of this lake to the Mediterranean Sea, this is all land of the Jews, right? And so it was inhabited by the Jews, and therefore uh, the, the common practice was the, you know, the monotheistic religion of Judaism. And so this is, this is what they knew, right? This is who they are. And yet everything to the east over here is where everybody else is, right? This is where the pagans live. In fact, everything about this was considered unholy and unclean, right? And no Jew, no good Jew worth a grain of salt would ever have traveled from this side to this side. Do you hear that? Like no good Jew would have done that. And yet we look at Jesus and what does he do? He goes there, right? He travels from right up here and just whoop, just comes right over here to the land of the Gerasenes where nobody would ever have gone in that time, right? And so um, if you begin, if you can begin to imagine, again, just what it would have been like to be a disciple going, gosh, like, like okay, so we had this fruitful ministry in, in Galilee over here, uh, and then we got in a boat, and then there's this massive storm that happens, and then we're on the way to the, to the east side of the lake, which is where we really shouldn't be going. And so the whole time, like, there's fear, I think, in the, in the hearts and the minds of these disciples. But then here's what's interesting, is that as the story unfolds in verse 2, right? And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, okay? So like they, they shore the boat, he steps out, and it says, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Okay, so again, if you are the disciples uh, and you look at this, you go, like in this moment, you're, you're watching this unfold in front of you, um, and the first thing that happens, like we've been here five seconds, right? So not only is this a place that's unholy and unclean, and we should never have come here, within the first five seconds, like this man uh, who is demon-possessed and, and comes out of tombs, right? Two, two things that are big no-no's, right, in, in Jewish culture, right? And it's like, if you're the disciple, you're watching Jesus, and you're like, Jesus, I told you, this is a bad idea. Look what happened. Like, we, sh we should never have come here. Like, this is, this is we, let's just, you know what, Jesus, just pull your foot, put it back in the boat, and then, like, like, kick off before they get here, and then we will be fine, right? That will be okay, right? But if we look at this word immediately, as we highlight this word immediately, you can actually do uh, a word study of this throughout the book of Mark, um, 
And it's a fascinating actual study because what you begin to see is that Mark uses this word a ton, especially at the beginning part of Jesus' ministry. And, and what we see in this word is that Mark is conveying as an author to us, as the reader, that there is a sense of urgency in Jesus' kingdom right? Mark is the shortest gospel, and so you have to condense a lot of stuff into a small, uh, short, kind of compact um, gospel. And so, what really Mark does is he says there's this major, massive urgency in Jesus' mind in what he's doing and how he's addressing and approaching and building this kingdom. There's urgency in this kingdom, right? Okay? And so, this man runs at Jesus. Check this out in verses 3 to 5. Here's where Mark gives us this description of this man, okay? It says that he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. Get this, no one had the strength to subdue him. Like, this is, this is I mean, when we think about this, we think about this from the perspective of the people who lived here. You go, this is a frightening scenario, right? He has, seems to appear, he appears to have superhuman strength. And in fact, right, like not only does he live among the tombs, which is just totally unclean and gross, right? They have apparently, because of his nuisance and because of his destruction, they have actually bound him with shackles and chained him in places. Like, and you go, this is a, a pretty scary or terrifying thing if you are the people looking at this scenario. And yet, sometimes though, when we, when we think about this, we forget to think about what this would actually have been like from the perspective of the man. Like, like think he's, he's totally isolated, he's totally wrecked, it's desolate, uh, and get this, he constantly hurts himself. Look at this in verse 5. He says, night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, right? So there's this almost like this homeless, nomadic nature to him that wherever he goes, he's always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds absolutely miserable, right? This is a demon-possessed man. Now, now, just to be clear, um, we don't experience this a lot in our culture. And so, in the point of this sermon is not to unpack um, demonology or to really even talk about the spiritual warfare uh, that's happening in the space. Because in, in full reality, I mean, we know some things, but we don't know a ton. And even 2,000 years after this was written, we still don't know a ton. But that's not the point of this sermon. The, the, the point of this is to help us understand or to see how Jesus Jesus was extra intentional about who um, he went to and who he engaged in uh, in conversation, right? So, and he picks this this demon possessed man who has these this incredibly strange and bizarre um, bizarre story, right? No one can even subdue him, right? Um, and as you go, if you are in the, the feet of the disciples, we begin to watch this unfold, and we go, man, like, what? why are we here? What, what is this about? Check this out in verse 6, this very simple short verse. It says, and when he, this is the demon-possessed man, saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. 
It's such a simple, small, easy verse. And yet in this culture, um, running was really undignified. Um, and, and then when you fell down in front of somebody, first and foremost, that was usually a sign of worship. But here, it's really, it's the sign of submission to authority, right? Like, so <laughs> as soon as Jesus, like, gets his foot out, the man sees him, and he runs to Jesus, and he really, he, he ultimately just submits to Jesus, uh, his authority. So look, the, look at this uh, in verse 7. Here's what it says. It says, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Right? Full, full authority um, that, that the demon um, sees in Jesus. Now, it's interesting that he, there's a, such a powerful line, right? What do you have to do with me? Um, and I think this is important because when, when you and I, and, and not like show of hands, like because I would count you blessed if you've never had an experience uh, with some type of, um, you know, demon force in some way, shape, or form. Um, so I would count you blessed if you haven't. Um, if you haven't done that, but um, it is, is a fearful, it's a fearful thing. And so when we are in these moments, um, I think that we oftentimes seem to evaluate this, this situation um, as, as kind of approaching it to say like, gosh, what is it that you as a demon have to do with me? Does that make sense? Like we, we are fearful in this moment, okay? So, um, a couple weeks ago, um, somebody from church um, gave us this toy. Forgive me, it's going to make some noise here. And it's, it's an alphabet that uh, um, is for Eden to play with, so that way she can learn her alphabet right. And if you take out A, uh, and then it, it has pictures of apples, you put it back in. And it says A for apple, right? So it's teaching you, right? Um, this was awesome for the first 10 minutes. Um, and then it got really old. So, but one night, um, I was watching TV. And uh, this is this strange thing. And so I, I went to, to go to bed. I turned off the light. And, and what I heard in the background was this. S is for star. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, that's kind of a weird coincidence. It hasn't made any noise all night. <laughs> right? And so I go back. I look at it. And I just like, okay, everything seems fine. There's no off button. I guess this is the way it is. And so I walk back out. Uh, and I turn off the light again. And it says, S is for star. And I was like, huh, that's weird. It did it twice in a row, right as I was leaving. And then I walked back, and I looked at it, and I checked it again. And I thought, okay, well, it just seems to be fine. And so I walked back out, I turn off the light, and it says N is for nail. And I was like, oh, this is strange. Like, I think this is starting to become more of a coincidence. And so I start to pray <laughs> in this moment. I begin to pray thinking that something might actually be wrong and something is really trying to get uh, my attention. And so I walk back, I begin to pray, uh, and then I stand there for like a minute and nothing happens. And I'm like, okay, it's done. I leave the room and I pause thinking, if it happens again, we have a problem. And I hit it and it went, S is for star. And I like, <laughs> and I turned on the light and I walked back and I kid you not, I said, in the name of Jesus, if, if there's a demon in my house, I command you 
in the name of Jesus, to, to leave my home. And it was like just totally haphazard, right? Um, and, and I've actually had something like that happen before when I was in high school. It was very serious. And when I said that, I had a full relief, right? But in this moment, like nothing really happened. Um, and so I'm thinking, okay, so, and I stood there for two minutes. I continued to pray. And then I, and I walked back out and I thought, if this happens again, like, hey, God, what am I going to do? And I hit it and it said, N is for nail. <laughs> And then, I, and then I had, it dawned on me in this moment, and I turned on the light, and it said, S is for star, and then I turned it off, and it said, N is for nail, and I went, oh, it's light sensitive. <laughs> Silly me, right? But in this moment, right, it's so dumb, right? But I command you. Um, but like, but in this moment, like whether it's that moment or it was when I was in high school and I actually had a moment where I felt like I woke up and, in full sweat and it, and it felt like, like they were like, like demons I, I, and I can't explain it. I don't have any proof, but it felt like they were just pushing on me and it took me an hour to even like get the words out like in the soft whisper, like in the name of Jesus. And when it happened, it just full release. And so whether it's real or not, like when we approach these scenarios, we, we have the tendency to, 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 to take the perspective like, like okay, you're, you're, a, you're an authority and you're a voice. And, and for me, like, what do you have to do with me? Like, what is it that, what is it that you want to do? Because I don't, I don't know what it is that you have authority to do, but like, I don't want to partake in that. And yet, what we find in our story is that as soon as Jesus' foot gets out of the boat and touches the ground, there is this reversal of authority. It's a total shift and change, right? Because then this demon, this man runs to Jesus and says what? What do you have to do with me, right? And so everything in this life submits to Jesus, right? The full, this possession of this man, right? And Jesus, so what does he do? He engages in conversation, right? Like, what's your name? Well, he says, my name is Legion because we are many. And then this is interesting, right? Is that he begs him, earnestly not to send them out of the country. So if we come back to our board again, if we flip over here, right, what we'll find is that, again, so if this is like the area of the Jews, right, if this is where Jesus, uh, this is Galilee and all of Judea and Samaria, right, over here there's this area called the Decapolis, um, which is the ten cities. It's the Greek word for the ten cities, and it's all about people who are living life under Roman rule or no, a Roman uh, authority, right? And so it's over here, and it's as if the, the demon is saying, you have your side, why don't you just let me stay to my side? You stay to the west, and I'll stay to the east, like, let's just barter here. Like, let's bargain. And, and Jesus doesn't really bargain or, or barter with this guy, but he does, he does allow them to stay because, again, he has this intentional, very intentional plan uh, that he wants to see happen. And so, in part, I think of what happens here in this space is that Jesus gives us a sneak peek into the book of Acts because even though, like what we oftentimes find in Scripture is that salvation is first for the who? for the Jews, right? But then it's also for the Gentiles, right? And so Jesus is giving us the sneak peek into the book of Acts. And so if you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what does it say? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, right? You'll be my storytellers in, right, starting in Jerusalem, uh, and then also in Samaria, right? We remember that story from last week, right? But then also to the end of the earth, and guys, we are still on an Acts 1-8 journey. 
That's where we, this, is, this is the moment in history that we live in. We are still witnesses as it is being spread. What starts here eventually goes to here, and eventually goes to here, and eventually it will go where? Everywhere. Right? And that's the story of the gospel. And Jesus gives us this sneak peek into, really, into the book of Acts to say, like, gosh, like, the salvation is for the Jews, but it is also for the whole world. And I want to show you intentionally and to demonstrate the lifestyle and, and the manner and the habits of which I want my disciples to live, one of which is being, go to the other side of the lake. Does that make sense? Right? And so here's where we are, right? So this is this bizarre scenario. So we know that Satan can have control of a person through uh, possession. Um, and I think it's interesting for us as we think maybe even applicationally for us as we, we think about possession, we don't experience this much in our culture. Like we don't see it other than on the TV screen. Like we have this fascination with, with demon possession. Like think about all the movies that just come out, come out, come out, come out, and they just keep coming over and over and over. And yet we don't really experience it a ton. But if you were to go to some of the more remote areas of the world where uh, industrialization, right, is, is a little bit different, right, Satan works differently because he doesn't have the same tools in his toolbox as he does here. So not only can, can Satan actually operate, even though it seems to happen less frequently, not only can he operate through possession, he also has a ton of power, and hear me when I say this, he has a ton of power through the idea of obsession. It's not just possession, it's the idea of obsession, because everybody that lived in this Decapolis was obsessed with the, the Roman rule, who the Romans were, the lifestyle that it was offered, the gods that they worshipped, right? And we begin to see that, that Satan works in two very different ways. And so here's where we shift from the, the possessed man in our text to the obsessed people in verse 14. Check this out. It says, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, right? Which is obvious, right? Oh, wait, I kind of skipped a few verses, actually. So, um, the, the, the demon actually asked Jesus if, if they could go into the pigs, right? And then they do, and so they, they run down this steep hill, and all 2,000 of these pigs, uh, they, they, like, die, which is just kind of a, a bizarre, weird thing, right? So, the location of evil, which was started in the man, shifted to the pigs, and here's the silver lining, I guess, is that when you can attach evil to a person, an object, or a place, guess what? It's easy enough to just avoid it, <laughs> right? And that's oftentimes what we do. Like, we avoid those places. Like, we, well, it's kind of like the elephant in the room, except different. We avoid it. But now that these pigs have died and perished, we don't know where this evil is. And so, there's lots of fear in these people, right? And so, verse 14, this herdsman, he fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people actually then, right, what they do, they come to see what it was that had happened. Uh, and they came to Jesus, and they saw this demon-possessed man, right, the one who had had the legion, and, and this was this unique thing, right? He's just sitting there, he's clothed, so he's no longer naked, and he's totally in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man uh, into the pigs, and then what happens is that they beg Jesus to depart from 
the region. They're like, man, would you please leave? So not only do we not know where this evil has now gone and no longer can we actually avoid it, you also just sent like how many dollars worth of pigs into the ocean, <laughs> right, into the sea. Like this economic fallout is going to be big. Get out of here. We don't want you. Uh, and it's clear that they care more about their livelihood than the sanity of this one, this one man. But you can't blame them, right? Because this is the life that they live. This is, they don't know Jesus. They haven't been transformed um, by faith, you know, through grace or by grace through faith. So, um, so then what happens, right, in this is that as Jesus is getting back into the boat in verse 18, where we see, um, as he's getting back into the boat, the man who had been possessed then actually comes and begs him to go with him, right, which is totally natural. Think about all of, the, all of the shame that this man would have experienced. He caused torment of the city night and day over and over and over. He would have just tormented people, and so there's all of this shame, and yet the one man who has healed him and brought him forgiveness and healing, right, he goes, I want to be with you. Like, I want, I want to go with you, and what does Jesus do? It says he, he says, no, he did not permit him but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. You see, I think that, that when we think about these types of people, we have this tendency to want to get back into the desk. You see, we, we, we hit these moments and we're like, gosh, Jesus, now is the time. Like, I know that you want me to live life on the road. Like cave table road, I know it's important. Cave is the most important because that's inflow. I know I need a table, and I know that you want me to live life on the road. But guess what, Jesus? I just need more training. I need, I need more desk time. I need more and more and more of this, right? And yet what Jesus does is he says, nope, <laughs> what you need is your story, and I want you to go and tell your story. And where does he send them? To your family and friends. The same thing that happened to the woman at the well, right? She runs to her family and her friends, right? It goes back to the table, goes back to the community, and he sends them home. And we go, gosh, like there's so much power in our story. This is what I love about John 9. John 9 is one of my favorite passages because it's this man born blind, right? And when Jesus heals the man born blind, he goes around and he starts telling everybody, like, this is, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened. And then the Pharisees come and they say, well, who did it? How did they do it? What did they do? And blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, actually, I don't know any of the answers to those questions. But here's what I do know is that I once was blind, but now I see. Guys, there is so much power in our stories, right? In the story of this man, just the fact that he's been transformed and changed. And so we know that not only does, like, does Satan work through possession, he also works through obsession. And so for us as a culture, like Satan works differently in our lives. There's this movie quote I love from a long time ago that says, um, the greatest lie the devil ever told was convincing the world he doesn't exist. You know why Satan doesn't have to operate through possession? possession of people here? Because we're totally obsessed. And we're living lives, you know, like the world is living lives that is totally emphatically obsessed with the life that the world has to offer. And yet we, we have these spaces in life, and Jesus says, no, I mean, like, with no good Jew would go here. And we have these places in life where we go, no good Christian would ever go to that place. Right? Even today, like maybe it's a gay bar, maybe it's a bar in general, like wherever it is, we have these places where you go, man, if you're a good Christian, you will not go there. And guess what? Jesus would probably, 
probably go there. And he would engage people in authentic conversation, right? He would use what he knows about them, and he would bring the, the love and the forgiveness and the grace into these stories, right? Okay, so as we begin to wrap up here, turn your Bible uh, just in one chapter over to chapter 6, verse 53, because I don't want us to miss the story here, right? Remember, this man wants to go with Jesus, and Jesus says, no, I want you to go back and tell your story. But Jesus complies to the people and says, I will leave. But I think in his mind and his heart, right, he knows the intentionality here, he's going to come back. And so look at this in verse 53. It says, when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret, right? That's the land of the Gerasenes. Um, and they moored to the shore, and when they got out of the boat, which, by the way, side note, anecdotally, in verse 44, it says they, and you look back in the original story, it doesn't appear like the disciples ever even got out of the boat. <laughs> they never moved. It was only Jesus in that text who got out of the boat, and it's like they watched the whole story. It's like they're afraid, 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 afraid. But when they come back, guess what? They all get out, and this is so crazy. I love this story. It's so amazing. This is when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him, right? So it's not the demon-possessed man, it's now all of the people. All of the people immediately recognized Jesus. And look at this next verse, right, as it keeps going. It says, and then they ran, right? Who was the one who ran in the first story? The, the demon-possessed man. And now everybody else is running, right? And then it says about the whole region, right? The very place that they wanted him to leave, now the entire region is stirred up for Jesus, right? It's crazy. And then they bring all these sick people to him, and then it says that they implored him, right? The very person that they begged to leave, now they beg to stay. Why? Because of the story of one man. One man who went back to his family and friends and says, this is who Jesus is, and this is what he did for me. And as I think through these stories, as we wrap up with this, as I think through these stories, these can be, these can be I think, big, extravagant, and sometimes intimidating, but I want to remind us that it doesn't have to be this big, right? It doesn't have to be this big. Um, when I think about I go back to the caribou story, um, that story kind of continues because one night I was sitting there studying at a table, um, studying Hebrew because I needed lots and lots of practice, and I was sitting there studying, and all of a sudden there was this gal who was standing right in front of me, and I thought that they were like waiting in line or something, and so I didn't look, and I just kind of continued, and, and then like some time passed, and they hadn't moved, and so I looked up, and she was so nice, I, she didn't want to interrupt me. And there's this African-American gal right here, right in front of me. And she said, she says this, and it, today it just blows my mind. And she said, hey, I, I'm so sorry to bother you. And I was like, hey, it's okay. Like, what do you need? And she said, well, honestly, this is strange, but I just feel like since everybody else in this place knows you, I should know you. And I was like, wow, shocker, like moment. Like, I did not realize the favor that had extended and the people that had noticed the relationships that I had built with the workers. And all of a sudden, I'm like, this is the road. And it took me too long to recognize that, but it starts small. It can start with the idea of putting names in a box, but not just to put names in the box and say, great, God, that's yours. Let's go, ah, these are names that I'm going to pray over. And they're names of people that, guess what, I'm going to intentionally engage in authentic conversation with these people, right? It's not just names on a desk. And so I want to end with this. I want to invite the worship team to come on up. 
um, and to kind of get ready for our song here. Um, but I want to end with this. Like, we, I'm going to sit back down in this desk, right, against my better judgment. <laughs> I sit back down in this desk. And, and if I think about today, today's Valentine's Day, right? Happy Valentine's Day to all of you. Um, I could sit in this space and I could learn and learn and learn and learn. I could read 100 books. I could memorize all the Greek and all the Hebrew words about love and what those mean and where they're found in the Bible. And I could learn it and I can learn it and learn it. And guess what? I can never do it. And at some point, this actually fits really well um, because at some point, we outgrow the desk, don't we? We outgrow it. And we have to go, gosh, like it's not just about me sitting, it's about me taking this and engaging in conversation, this authentic conversation with the world. Because next week we start this celebration story about who God is and the way he's working in the lives of people, right? And we're going to continue to celebrate, not just next week, but we have some stuff in store to help us continue to celebrate who God is and what he is doing. But can I just, can I just encourage you this morning to say, man, you have such a powerful story. Whether you came to know Christ at five or 55, it doesn't matter because you have a unique story that God wants to use in a powerful way. And here's my question for you. My challenge would be this. Will you love people enough to go to the other side of the lake? What started with Jesus' love for you, right, on the cross, right? He, he, he spanned heaven to earth to put on flesh, and then he died for us Will you love people enough to go to the other side? Let's ask these questions, and we'll finish with a song. First one, what are the other sides in your life? And what are some of the other sides in Fargo-Moorhead, right? Maybe those are easily identifiable, and maybe you have to think a little bit harder to, to process through those. But every single one of us has an other side in our life that we can choose intentionally to go and invest in those conversations. But the second question is also very, very sincere because there are risks involved, right? Um, Jesus, at the end of his life, had so many relationships that began to escalate, and yet he chose to enter into those conversations because it was worth it. But we have to ask ourselves, what are the risks? And then that last one is, what is the Spirit telling you right now about the other side? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we, as we wrap up our time this morning, as we begin to maybe process just a little bit more intentionally, Lord, we know that next week we're going to kind of summarize and, and bring this whole series together. And we know that, that really what, what we're talking about on the road is as intimidating as that sounds at some times, really, right? The only way to get there and to have the, the fullness that we need to do that starts in the cave. And God, would you give us time with you? And would you just draw us into your presence and would you fill our cups and allow us and just remind us of the goodness of who you are. Um, and may that extend to our table, but may that also continue to go out into the world. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that whatever our story is and whoever is in this room, that as we leave this room, we would be reminded that, that I have a powerful story that you want to use in this world. And may we love people enough that we would be willing to go to the other side. We love you and your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship.